0: What's up guys? Welcome into the OBR film breakdown. It's your Thursday episode. I think we have a great show. Listen, I've been saying that a lot lately, but when I have a guest and it's not just me yammering at you for 30 minutes solo, I think we have a pretty good podcast. I'm excited about what we have to talk about today. Uh, Quick notes on the OBR. Reminder that the OBR Wednesday Twitch show is happening right now as I'm recording. If you're listening to this on Thursday, check out that replay with Barry and Fred. They do a great job on that show. Otherwise, notes from the Browns today, they went out and signed another corner, putting themselves up to 16 defensive backs on the roster. Obviously, that will get trimmed down closer to the 10 number by the time the 53-man comes, but a lot of new faces. Parnell Motley is the new face. Go ahead and uh, check out the OBR website where we wrote up some information about him if you'd like to know more. Otherwise, there is a Martin Emerson film room that I finally got around to putting up. Check that out. That's up on the webpage for VIP subscribers think that's a really interesting look at a lot of the strengths and weaknesses of that player which we're going to talk about here in just a moment Uh, also we have athletic profiles of the two new waiver wire additions Reggie Robinson the second cornerback they claimed from Houston and then safety Luther Kirk that they got from Atlanta both according to some Cowboys people I follow Cowboys legends of training camp day so go check that out and then another fun study for VIP members we did an analytics uh, study here by Anthony Reinhardt we did reaches and steals in the draft he took a look at data from big boards and stuff from people that do the analysis pre-draft looked at which guys are steals which guys were reaches based on that data There's actually a really fun look at some of the recent browns drafts so go check that out otherwise we're going to shift over to our guest which i'm really uh, listen i i try to paint the picture on this podcast as best i can sometimes i think you're pigeonholed into a lot of my opinion on opinions on these guys and i always like to bring in more opinions especially people that i feel do the homework and I think Pete Smith, who we're going to bring in here in just a second, does the homework as well as anybody, if not better than anybody who does this stuff. So I always really value getting some time with Pete to talk about these prospects, because, again, as you guys know, I try to give you the positive and negative of the Cleveland Browns. Yes, at heart, I'm a fan. I pull for the organization, but we have to keep a neutral balance. Look at this thing. And when you draft a group of prospects, everybody wants to look at the greatest possible outcome. And I love that. We try to do that all offseason, but you do also have to look at what is the path to failure for these guys because not all draft picks work out. Right now, Andrew Barry has yet to cut a single draft pick he's had. Not that all have produced, but he's yet to cut a single draft pick he has. That day is coming, whether we want to believe it or not, and we have to look at what the outcome could be for some of these guys. Obviously, the Browns didn't even get a pick selected in this draft until the 33rd pick. So, or Sorry, in the day three, I should say the third round. It's not even day three. It's day two. I'm screwing it all up here it's uh the Browns didn't actually get a pick in this draft until the third round. So it's even further down the scale in what was already a weird draft. So I want to look at what Pete thinks. I want to look at the angle of uh, some of his comprehensive reviews, which are fantastic. Obviously, you know, Pete has been on this podcast many times, writes for SI, does a great job over there uh, with, with all of the content that they put up on a consistent basis. Make sure you're checking that out. He also has his own podcast for pete's sake and then he's everywhere he's ubiquitous he's all over the browns market pete welcome into the show man i'm really excited to get your opinion on some of these guys
1: yeah i'm uh i'm excited to to be here and and we've touched you and i have touched on a few things with some of these guys but uh yeah it's always fun to to get together and do this stuff
0: yeah let's let's dive in right away because like i said i want to ask you questions because people listening to this pod have heard my opinion And if they haven't heard your opinion, I think it's a great platform to do it. So we'll start with Martin Emerson. Like I said, I just put up a film room on the guy. Uh, I'm curious whether you think he's a great fit for what they do zone conceptually, because obviously Mississippi State played a lot of zone. He played a lot of off man and they might think that's a good fit here. I'm imagining that's a lot of what they like. What do you think of the player? What do you like about him and what are you concerned about as far as his fit long term? So
1: going into just doing the draft process of like trying to figure out guys that made sense for the Browns and doing mock drafts and all that stuff. I watched a ton of this kid and I always came back with the thought, I love this kid, but I don't think the Browns will be interested. And it's because the way the Browns play defense, they are technically a zone team, but it's like zone to get to man. And what I mean by that is like, the Browns play you know, combinations of cover three and some of their looks and cover one and, and some of these things. And, and realistically, all they're really doing is allowing the offense to dictate matchups so they don't get rubbed. Because if you play man, that's you're going to get that endlessly as mesh concepts and, and all this other stuff. So the Browns basically say, okay, you pick who we're going to cover. And then it just becomes man. And MJ Stewart is a – he is a zone corner, and and part of that is because he doesn't have super top end speed, but he's also super long. And if you watch his tape, he is like he does not get beat deep. And the reason he doesn't get beat deep is because he drops back so much and plays forward. So he is a downhill player. Uh, but having said all that, I think he could theoretically play every single position in the in this Browns secondary. Uh, not that they're going to do that, but uh, just he could theoretically do it. I, I think uh, they brought him in in part because they have to play guys like T. Higgins and they have to play guys like uh dude out of Pittsburgh um, where they're 6'4", 200-something you know, pounds, and the Browns don't have that guy. Um, so, And I don't expect MJ Stewart to step in and just be, hey, you're going to go cover T. Higgins this week. But I think that's sort of like where they would aspire him to be. Uh, You could, you had mentioned to me, and I thought it was interesting that you could have him sort of be like the backside cover three, cover three guy, which is interesting Mm -hmm. because he is so long. Like I I watch my tape. He looks like a vulture. He's just so long and he's a little bit high cut and some of those other things. But if you watch him play and, and looking at what the Browns need, I think they're going to give him every opportunity to, to, to win a job in the slot. And I don't know if that's going to be the nickel, but I can sure as hell see where he plays the dime. And it's because, you know, and football coaches who, who, who do this know what I mean when I say he's a dick. I mean, and I love him for it. He is an absolute dick. He just beats people up with those big, long arms. He's strong. He's a good run defender. Like he will mix it up. And, and guys who don't want to block – he'll ruin them. So if you can put him inside like that, he immediately puts stress on a deep uh, on an offense because they now have to worry about him potentially swooping in and blowing up a run play. And he doesn't just like throw his body around. He's, he is coaching tape to me on how to defeat blocks or uh, how to, how to just get through, get around, whatever you have to do to beat the block And that's the type of stuff where I looked at him as like, man, I really like the way this kid plays. Uh, But again, you look at it, you you question the speed, you question some other things that he does in terms of like what the Browns specifically like to do with their DBs.
0: Yeah, so that's that's the thing. So if he, you know, there's some tape, there's some good tape of him against Jamison Williams out there, I think from his stretch with Alabama last year where he covered him in some nice double moves. I think it was like a blaze out that they got matched up on and he did a nice job covering that. But, you know, there's a simple 12 yard in breaking curl, just a, just a tight return to the ball from a bunch alignment where he's kind of in again, in that bail technique. And he doesn't quite get downhill off the top of his, 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 his plant foot as quickly as he needs to can't close the gap. And Jamison Williams turns it into 75 yards and a touchdown. And I think the only thing that, that is going to stop the young man is probably bursty twitchiness if if anything like you said i think he's a willing more than willing tackler you know i talked to to, to paul jones about this who covers mississippi state for 247 and he's talking about how just business like this guy was how he came in there and he told paul as a freshman i'm going to be here three years and i'm going to be in the nfl and like that's kind of a rare thing for a young man to say so i find it interesting how just he seems to be very quiet workmanlike do my job I'm gonna beat up people play my style I just have some questions like is he gonna be fast enough to be able to to last in the NFL and I think the only place I see him being able to do that is not necessarily in the boundary as wide so you think he he has a real shot to play nickel and be successful at it you think he can overwhelm some of those smaller types and You know, mug them up a little bit to eliminate some of the quick stuff and two way goes. So, you know, I'm 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 pretty curious about that. You feel you feel if they moved Troy Hill, that he is a is a fit because that's a question, Pete. Is you know if they move Troy Hill, moving Greg Newsom inside, you know, I I could see it, but doesn't seem like the greatest use of Greg Newsom's skill set. But that's what I'm curious from you. Like you think it's is it Emerson at the top of your list to give a crack? Is as this nickel guy, or do you think there's, there's somebody a little better on the roster for it? Well, here's what I know. Greedy,
1: ain't, Greedy Williams, ain't playing the slot.
0: No, and, he's not.
1: you know, I don't think AJ Green's playing the slot either. They, that's just not how they're built. Uh, you know, you can certainly make the case that you worry that maybe uh, Emerson is not twitchy enough to sort of deal with these super small, you know, quick guys, but at the same time, he's so wide in terms Mm -hmm. of just his, his broad build and those long arms. It's not so much. Can he stay with them as much as it is? Can he disrupt the timing? Uh, And I think he can do that because if he just gets hands on, he's a problem and it doesn't have to, he doesn't have to put a guy on the ground. He doesn't have to like ride the guy the whole way, but just, he is, he's so, he's so much more like the, and this is another thing that makes me sort of weirded out by the fit was he's not a guy who's very comfortable turning his, turning his head away from the play, like away from yeah. the ball. he He's a guy who wants to play downhill and he wants to see what's coming at him, which is fine. But I think that's more reason you might see him play in the slot. And that's why I don't necessarily go, Oh man, this guy's going to step in and play nickel. He certainly could, but it is why I could see him becoming MJ Stewart and becoming that dime guy um, yeah. because they don't really have an obvious guy for that. I mean, look, I, I, you brought back Ronnie Harrison. I get it, but Ronnie Harrison might be better suited to be sort of a Ronnie Harrison be essentially a linebacker. And then yeah, if you get into sort of an obvious passing situation, so you get in these four receiver set type looks that you bring in Emerson and you say, you know, you're better suited for this. And that's where I sort of look at this, and I and 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 I, you know, I I I worry a little bit that he's just too much of a tweener, um, not quite fast enough to 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 be a full time boundary guy. Maybe not quite twitchy enough to be in the slot. And you sort of go, you know, which is why when I watched him on tape again, you know, his, his style, I I always felt like he played corner like a safety. And I thought, you know, in a perfect world, I'd love to be able to move this kid to safety you know, that's not realistic to, to drafting him, but just sort of like, you know, uh, you know, mad scientists looking at this thing is like, man, I, you know, I would love this kid to to be sort of in that safety mix. So that's why I look at him and I, and I, and I think initially anyway, he could end, end up being MG Stewart uh, in that dime role that, that has the capability to potentially drop back a little bit, maybe if they want to mess around with some things, but I, you know, I, I, I Greedy Williams I'm not gonna, you know, I don't think he's gonna be here in 2023. He's on the last year of his deal. Uh, they've got uh, they've got three guys they've drafted or paid um, ahead of him. I think he's gonna be, you know, go somewhere else and be a compensatory produce a compensatory pick. So I don't think they drafted Greg Newsom to play him in the slot full time. Maybe he'll do it because they have to, but ultimately I think the goal here is to have uh, Ward Stewart. Uh, Ward, uh, Greg Newsome, and then have MJ Stewart play that slot role and just be a force player that just disrupts timing. The biggest thing that has been a problem for the Browns has been catch step throw uh type type situations because you know it negates their pass rush. That's the stuff that has given them problems. So MJ Stewart's a guy or MJ Emerson is a guy who can disrupt timing and and at least maybe cause a hesitation with the quarterback's clock.
0: I like it. I like the, the angle there, looking at it from that perspective of, well, he could fail because of the tweener's perspective, but here's some routes to success. And listen, I think we're all kind of honed in on what they're going to do at nickel. There's got to be a grand plan. They might like this jolly kid from app state. I don't know what the plan is. We'll see it shake out. We got some things to other positions to talk about, which is what we're going to talk about with Alex Wright. So they take Alex right next. And we all sit here on May 18th and think that Clowney is set to return and the budget's there. And It all makes sense. It just kind of seems like whether Clowney, how much of the offseason Clowney wants to skip and whether he truly wants to be uh, back in the cold or not, you know, seems to be something that's out there too. So um, with Alex Wright, you certainly see what they like, the body, the the athleticism uh, on tape, because we didn't get a ton of that in testing. So I'm curious, you know, I know he's got some, they talked about some bumping inside. He certainly could do some of that. I think he's an interesting long-term fit as a strong side edge. How do you see it unfolding for him? What'd you, what'd you uncover in your comprehensive review of him?
1: So he's one of like three guys that just jumped out as reruns in, in Andrew Barry's history with this team. Um, he's got a lot of Carl Nassib to him, uh, but not as, not as polished, but maybe he has more juice. Um, he's strong as hell. Um he plays a lot with terrible pad level, and it doesn't matter. He's just too powerful, um, which yeah. which concerns me. He it's something he needs to work on. He needs to get more flexible. Um, I had referred to right in, in just the dramatic change of his body of going from two hundred and fifteen to now two hundred and seventy. It, it's almost like he was going through puberty on the field um, <laughs> at, at UAB. And it's because Mm -hmm. his body is just so different that like you're seeing a guy who tries to like speed moves, like a guy who would to survive at 215 pounds and then is like trying to do that 270, And it's like awkward and weird, like, you know, a kid who grew six inches over the summer or something. Um, and now he's starting to, you know, incorporate that power game. Um, I look at him and I and I see a guy who's going to have a very limited role early, uh, because he's just got a lot of work to do, and that's not a bad thing necessarily. I mean, the Browns have sort of, you know, planned for this, but yeah. I, I see him more right now as a maybe chips in ten to ten snaps, largely on rundowns. I don't think they're going to want to put him on the field in passing situations right now. Uh, if you watch him, his there are flashes where really interesting, really exciting about what he can do, but there are a lot of weird plays where he's just like, it's awkward and ineffective. So it's just a lot of work with him. Uh, you know, it, 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 he's a guy that clearly the Browns value arm length in defensive ends. Like the the that is settled at this point. They mm-hmm. made that a big deal. Um, So, you know, you're you're working to see if he can develop that power and ability, can he take away, uh, can he make it so guys can't reach him going to the outside, I think he can do those things. But in terms of is he ever going to be like a, you know, an effective pass rusher and a real full service end, that's where you sort of look at it and go, I can see through the keyhole where they see this happening and maybe they, they can get him there because he is only 21 and and there's just so much with him where you could see him sort of grow into it. Uh, but I, I, I think he's a guy who could theoretically be inactive in games. This his rookie year.
0: Interesting. So you see guys of the, of the Winovich um, mold there as, as somebody, let, let me kind of tie this. I know we're jumping a little bit uh, to, to a later player, but it's okay. It's the same position. Do you see Isaiah Thomas as a more interesting prospect? Like where everybody's trying to make a good bit of of, uh, of of tie-in about how this kid could ultimately be more of an impact than somebody they took earlier at the position. Like, do you see Isaiah Thomas as a better fit right away? I'm just curious where you see that rotation going, if there are some outcomes that involve right being an inactive for certain stretches. I could
1: see Isaiah Thomas being better, quicker than than Alex Wright, but Alex Wright has significantly more potential than uh, Isaiah Thomas does because Isaiah Thomas has no agility, none. Uh, he, he can't move uh, at all when it comes to his his hips. You can't do a lot of those things that are going to make him like an interesting guy. But if you're just saying we're going to play a game tomorrow, I can put him at base end and I know he's going to do his job as a run defender. He's just, he just, he's very smart. Um, You know, you, you watch Isaiah Thomas and they put him anywhere on the defensive line. And I think a a reason they did that is because they could trust him to, uh, to execute his role and understand what his job is within the defensive, defensive scheme. Um, he does exactly what you, you want a defensive end to do, uh, whether he's whether he's outside and it's taking away the run, but not getting too far upfield. And if he's inside, he's stout at the point of attack. He doesn't give up a lot of ground. So if you're just looking at this and you're going, in a world where Jadavion Clowney resigns and you have Miles Garrett, and you're just saying, we just need some guys to give them, you know, some some reps to give them a break. Right this second, I would say Isaiah Thomas is more equipped to give you reps. On, on run defense. Now, you know, in, in four months, that may change. But just in terms of I, I, I just think a guy like Isaiah Thomas is, is he's very easy for a coaching staff to trust. And I think that goes way farther than people realize in these type of things, because that's that's the name of the game. Are you going to step in there and do the job? And right now, Isaiah Thomas is a guy who will do his job.
0: Yeah, but that's a good thing to illuminate too for fans is to understand that there's just a limited amount of upside. When you're when your athletic traits are not high, you know, people will ask, well, why don't why don't you you know why do you guys talk about RAS so much? Or why do you guys talk about all these other things that involve athletes to tape, tape, tape? Well, you're looking at how big is the growth potential. And while Pete's making a great point here about Isaiah Thomas being able to step on the field and be a better competitor right away than Alex, than Alex, Wright. I think, I think he's spot on here. I do think you can certainly see the potential in right, the way that the body can fit into what they want to do, the way it can develop. And you say, okay, I understand why that would be a more valuable entity early in the draft. As opposed to a guy later, you talk about what things can improve for a guy. That's the stuff you're talking about. Can he do the baseline athletic things? All right. Yes. Okay. Now we'll work on some of those things, pad level, adding moves, layering moves, all those other things that help you create pressure. Let's switch to wide receivers now. So, and we'll come back to D line with Perry on Winfrey in a minute, but you know, you get David bell. I, I I've been an idiot, Pete and been talking about the 10 yard split as something that happens in the middle of the run, not the first 10, 10 yards of the run, like a, like a true, true moron on that one. But I ask. I also understand you know, his 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 40-yard dash speed isn't great. I understand that. It's very below average. But he is able to get to his top speed pretty quick, not elite for the position, but pretty quick and just pretty strong. So you can understand how he creates some separation. The question I have is, is that enough, in your opinion, to be a power slot, to be a, a guy that can play Z if you want to move Amari Cooper to different positions? Is that initial two-step top speed although not an elite top speed enough top speed to allow him to create enough separation at the NFL level, because what you're asking is this guy can do some contested catches, you know, things, not a huge guy, obviously, but, but big enough to be at least respectable around the catch radius. And I think that that's pretty obvious from his tape. He can go get the football in different locations away from his body, so on and so forth. But what you're asking with David Bell is not, is he going to be a contested catch guy? Cause there are a lot of those that enter the NFL is, can he create some separation? And that's what I'm coming to you to ask because I've given my stance on it, but I want your stance on it. Do you think that he has enough burst, enough initial top speed that he can create the separation at the NFL level to be a slot guy or a guy like an off-the-ball uh, player as a Z guy You know, going in motion, doing different things you do with that position? So I'm curious your take on what the upside could be because people seem to be blowing up this player like they think he's going to be great. And I'm, I'm with it. I'm excited. Stefanski's excited. But the expectations to me are starting to creep a little out of control.
1: Yeah. The thing that concerns me is, you know, even though I've been a uh, you know, noted critic of Jarvis Landry, um, that uh, the the idea that like there was a certain amount of people who were like, you know, cause I, I was, you know, I, I, again, David Bell was a guy. I was sort of like, I, I think he is an NFL football player based on ta- tape. I was just sort of, perplexed at the idea that the Browns, like, you and I have been, you you and I have discussed any number of points of time about the spacing issues we see with this team and to, like, mm-hmm. say, here's an opportunity for us to get away from it and go, nope, right back into it with David Bell. Uh, but my, my concern was, like, the second he was drafted, I raised these concerns and, like, people are just, like, talking like David Bell is going to – step in and immediately produce at the exact same level Landry did. And I just, I you know, I, I, again, I think he's a very talented player. I do think he can make a contribution early, but let's, let's be fair to the young man who is 21 years old, that it's not going to be like, he's going you know, to, I guess it's theoretically possible that he's going to roll out there, and you know, get 800 receiving yards. But, uh, I do think he can be a power slot. I mean, I think that's his best fit. The stuff where I get sort of weirded out is, is where people are like comparing him to like Anquan Bolden and stuff, and yeah. uh, and uh, Alan Robinson. And, and And watching him a tape, I just don't see it. I, I just don't see that guy who you put outside and say, "Go out there." And and I'm I'm fully prepared and 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 hoping that he proves me wrong and he can be an outside threat in that respect, I see him as a goal line red zone guy or short yardage, but I, I, he's just so slow, um, on the outside. And I think corners are going to give him problems. Now, granted he's strong. And that's a big part of what what he's able to do to create separation. The Browns have assembled a, a theoretical starting three that are all at least 210 pounds. Like they are muscled up. Um, which works, but again, I, I get worried about him being able to do enough against NFL corners on the outside. But in the slot, he just—he's sort of like a a half the halfway point between a tight end and a receiver in a way that sort of Landry couldn't be because Landry was you know five eleven and you know one hundred ninety pounds, and then that last year he was like you know, one eighty something. Bell's just bigger, and, and if you put him on a a, a diminutive diminutive uh, slot corner, I think he can overpower those guys. And if you put him on like a, a linebacker or a big safety, I think his feet are too quick for those guys. Um, and I think that become that that's where he's good. You you mentioned his ten yard split, but just watching him, he's got for all the things you can complain about him, and, and he's slow. Let's, he is slow. There's no getting away from this back. That, 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 that number is not lying to you. If you watch his watch him on tape, you just can't go very fast, but his body control and his feet are incredible and he's very disciplined. He knows where he wants to go. He runs any number of uh, routes in terms of just like, I, I, I sort of kept watching and marveling and it was sort of hard to like write this, but just, He has this weird, subtle way of running a slant that looks like an in and it works for him. And I don't know why it works for him, but he's very good at it. And it just sort of like creates this little little pocket for him. And he's fearless in the middle. He catches the ball in traffic like a champ. And not only does he catch it like that, but he's good at keeping his feet moving. So he's like it's almost like everybody else is worried about the collision and he's sort of operating another step. So, you know, I, I, I have trouble with certain things about, like, again, spacing and these other things, but I do like what he can do. Um, I think it's interesting that the Browns brought in, like, two or three undrafted free agents, which are the slot type that I thought the Browns were going to do, which was to <laughs> get a little bit more wiggle, a little bit more speed, just to, again, create spacing, just to create that layered Approach that really gives you a contrast compared to just rolling with tight ends, but I think David Bell is going to get every shot. I think he's going to be pretty good at it, and I do think he can he can do some damage in there in a way that's going to be very refreshing. And again, they they are leaning into that size, and Purdue doesn't block, but I he he's he's so strong that I think he can be a really good. Blocker if he, if he commits to it and he wants to, because then he can be a force inside and, and you get sort of this unique concept with him and that he can sort of like be a tight end without being a tight end, but he's quicker.
2: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
0: Makes sense. Yeah, I could. I certainly see how that makes sense. Body type, all of those things. You you know where uh, it's not a secret here for his path to, to success or failure is, you know, does the strength overwhelm? Is he able to create physicality at the top of routes that allows him to get open? Is the speed ultimately going to be too big of a detractor to allow him to make anything special out of some of those plays? So the path on both sides, I think, is very clear. Well-illuminated there by Pete. I want to bring in our the other receiver, which – Again, not a guy I was really studying much pre-draft. in Mike Woods, I mean, I, I kind, I kind of see what they liked, but a bit of a surprise to me. And 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 he remains the guy I think that is most likely to not make an Andrew Barry roster as a draft pick. But I'm curious if you're higher on him than some people are out there.
1: He is the second coming of Damian Ratley. Um, yeah, in we'll terms of in too. terms of you took a number two receiver off a team. Um, that, that, you know, a, a power five school with a decent, but not great, um, you know, top, top end guy. I think the biggest thing that the, the thing that Mike Woods will forever regret is transferring to Oklahoma. I, I, I think his, his fit, his style and what he does well and why the Browns like him is on the, is in Arkansas. Um, because the things you like about Mike Woods, if you watch him, he's strong, he's he's physical, he will block, um, and he's really good with the ball in his hands. That's the thing where you sort of go, you go, man, this guy didn't do a whole lot in college. You're going, what does what, what he do? And then you see him with the ball in his hands. He's like, he's confident as a receiver with the ball in his hands. And he, he's a guy who's willing to attack and 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 be physical he's got a nice stiff arm but he's got pretty good vision in terms of like being able to sort of plan his way and he's not like he's not particularly agile but he's fast enough that he can sort of weave in and out of 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 the way of opponents um he does have very strong hands as does david bell um and and he, he his feet setting up after a catch, like I said, his run after the catch is really interesting to me. But uh, there's just not much of it, and that's the thing. Is like he's he's he he won largely his game at Arkansas was overpowering DBs. Like he's the type of guy that if he attacked off the line of scrimmage, the DB had to get out of his way, in 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 some form or fashion. And he took advantage of that. He would just run. He would just attack their feet. And create space, and like he's really good at running, uh, like verticals and fades, because he just he, he he gets as much real estate as possible, and then he has all the space in the world to either stop and back shoulder it, or make a play on the ball, or those type of things. Uh, my concerns with Mike Woods, the biggest one I have is his catch radius. Um, he, like I said, he has strong hands, but he he's a guy who has a tendency to let the ball come into him. Uh, there's one really great catch against Texas where he goes way outside the frame and it's by the sideline. He makes this just freakish catch. Uh, and there's a couple of those, but so often he's willing to sort of short arm it and Gator arm it. And I, and I think that's where I see where he could really, really have a problem in the NFL is he's going to go against corners with long arms. We're able to either poke the ball out before he gets his hands on it, or going to be able to rip it out from him because he doesn't go out and Snatch the ball cleanly, but he's a guy. I think the Browns think he can have inside outside versatility. I think they think he can sort of, you know, be an overall depth guy. Uh, I have to assume they know something about him in regards to special teams because whoever wins that, that last roster bot has to be really good on special teams. Um, And and we'll you know uh, uh, there have been any number of times where the Browns have kept some guy that most people have never heard of, and it's entirely based on that. So I think that had to play a role. But if you you're just looking at it and you're going, um, you know, what are the likelihood of this guy's going to be on the team in three years? I would say it's pretty low.
0: I would too. I would too. It's just he does some things at an NFL level, but it's just not enough to me. Like it's just you have to you have to find some way to separate yourself. And, and he feels like a guy who's just kind of adequate at enough things like Damian Ratley was to hang on to a roster for a couple years, somewhere Cleveland bounce around to another organization and you're always looking for upgrades. So, you know, it's, it's, there's some things to like there. There are some things that you could see developing. You're taking a lotto ticket here that maybe they do develop, but like you said, I, I do think he also would have benefited from, you know he's stuck around Arkansas for the first three years right when they were they had pretty terrible quarterback play and structure, and then the year after he leaves, they finally figure some things out and I do think that offense would have benefited him more, so maybe the Browns are trying to do a little bit of that, maybe they're trying to project ahead with him. We'll see where it shakes out, but I do think he remains the most likely guy to if they moved off a player from this class you know he comes in and maybe disappoints and you can see it right away so uh let's talk real quick there's there's two guys before. We get to uh, the kicker this is Jerome Ford, who's you know I think Greg Cosell had had gone on a limb. Who we all respect, Greg Cosell in this this industry of uh, film breakdown is is you know kind of giving him a similar outlook out of college to Kareem Hunt, a very downward running A to B guy, does not really have a great load of patience, but can get downhill gap schemes, was going to run off of a cut really well in terms of you know, one cut off a block, all of those things that you need. Uh, it's just, it's just, um, again, it feels like a guy who is largely okay. You know, I can, I can see it. It's tough to see him being a difference maker though. I'm curious what you got out of it. Uh, yeah. Watching his tape,
1: Kareem Hunt screams out at me. You know, I don't think he has as much talent as Kareem Hunt, but I totally understand where that comparison comes from. um, He's big and he's very strong. There's no getting away from either of those two things. He is great inside the five yard line, which is obviously something that Kareem Hunt has done really, really well for the Browns. Like, in a way where people have always sort of scratched their head and go, why isn't, why isn't Nick Chubb getting the ball there that Kareem Hunt's sort of been that weird find the end zone guy? Like, Drumford's fantastic at it. But the other thing with Jerome Ford and the thing I've always sort of been a little iffy on Kareem Hunt is his vision. He just, when you you run gap concepts and you're saying, you go here, he's way more confident and way more effective than he is at trying to diagnose what zone lane he should pick. Um, It doesn't mean he can't do it. It's just, I feel like they took him presumably with stump Mitchell saying yes I can get this out of him uh because it, it, you know it, it's aspirational in some ways um he I his the way he runs behind blocks I always feel like he's it's not like a half a beat it's like a quarter of a beat where he just gets sort of like he gets stuck and it's like he doesn't have to stop, but he has to hesitate enough where you sort of get frustrated. He doesn't sort of anticipate that block enough. And, and I don't know if you've seen that and you're like sort of having that same field. It's it's hard to describe, but you're always sort of like going, I wish he could see this just a little bit quicker because it stops him from, from really getting his momentum going. Because when he has a head of steam and he can anticipate the hit, he's he's got great contact balance. When he yeah, doesn't, it becomes a little, he, he goes down pretty quick. And you're like, mm, I don't know. Um, but the thing where you look at Jerome Ford, you go, wow, is his ability to catch passes and his ability to run routes. He is incredibly natural catching the ball out of the backfield. In a way that, you know, Cincinnati obviously has had a ton of success, but I still sit there going, why didn't you do this more with him? Like on a wheel route, Jerome Ford is deadly because he, he he not only runs the route pretty well, but he's so smooth from catch to run, and he's got a, He's he's fast enough. He's got if you give him, you have to block the hole for him to get there. But if he's got space, he can house it. Um, so when he catches like a, a wheel, there is nobody to stop him, and it's it's like I said, it's you're sitting there watching, you go, why am I not seeing this more? So he's way more than just a guy who can make a check down work. And I think that's a big reason the Browns liked him. Um, as a blocker, I sort of look at him and go, I, I, like, I, he, it's not that he doesn't have effort, but again, vision, again, just his body positioning can get him in trouble. And, and I think he's got to get that part right because if he could get that part right and maybe the Browns go get it right, in, in camp this year, then I could say Jerome Ford can step on the field right now and contribute as a pass catcher. Now, having said that short of injuries, that's probably not going to happen because they've got Nick Chubb. They've got Kareem Hunt. Uh, and and who knows? Well, I, you know, I, I don't anticipate the Johnson's going to be on this team, but um, you know, he's still here. So it's going to be a difficult, you know, way, way for him to find reps early. Uh, but I think ultimately the Browns, Somehow, some way, see him as a cost-effective Kareem Hunt. But when I watch him, and when I sort of project forward, my my thought process has been: the Browns would take a running back this year, and they're going to take a running back next year uh, to sort of fill out that room behind Nick Chubb, uh, and, and you know get get the cost down. And I don't anticipate Jerome Ford doing anything that's going to make you. Think you should draft a running back later or not at all and pick up an undrafted free agent next year? I think you're going to want to get somebody probably that third, fourth, fifth round area again to try to give Nick Chubb a better compliment.
0: Yeah, I, I certainly see that. the The stuff about the pass game hasn't really been hit on enough. I do too see a high amount of flexibility there. I, I would say that, like you're kind of reiterating here, is. He's not going to get that opportunity early unless something crazy happens, which in the last two years Kareem's gone down, Nick's gone down. There there could be injury opportunities, so you don't want to say never. Certainly, so he could have that opportunity, but uh, I think the plan is to bring him along slowly, give him a bigger role as twenty two, sorry twenty three arrives, and then let uh, let him have that opportunity to see if he is a gonna he's going to be a guy for the future. And I do think that like you said too running back will be something they continue to keep their eye on. So the biggest boomer bust player here, and eh, I don't know if that's true or not, he's close to it, but Perion Winfrey, the guy that sneaks to the fourth and everyone loves the opening interview and everyone loves uh, the energy that he brings. And I get that, you know, those guys are important too, but there's a reason he's there in the fourth round. I think he is a lot. I think the personality is a lot. And sometimes if you talk to people connected to Oklahoma there was concern about some freelancing, not doing your job within a, a defensive tackle role. Cause people can forget that as a defensive tackle, your job is not only to make plays for yourself, but to free up plays for guys behind you. So there was some of those concerns. He did catch fire late in the year, you know, into the senior bowl. And that kind of gets people. I mean, you know, this guy was, this guy was being mocked to Cleveland as pick 44 for, for a lot of smart draft people going into this thing. So I've tried to do my best to illustrate why I think he got to the fourth round. Why do you think he gets to the fourth round? And what kind of expectations do you have for him, Pete?
1: He got to the fourth round because he has fourth round tape. I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, Oklahoma's tape is, his tape is awful at Oklahoma. I can't, like, I understand that he's really quick off the ball. And there are times he, he has tools to be a phenomenal pass rusher. He can, He's got that, you know, really quick first step. He can be super explosive, generate a ton of power quickly. And he's got those big long arms that when he uses them, right. He's just devastating. Like he can absolutely destroy a play. That happens about one out of every, you know, 20, 25 snaps. The rest of the time he's awful. And it's because he does a, a few things that are problematic he has 35 and a quarter inch arms. This is great. You never see him or you rarely see him on his college tape. And it's, and, it, and a lot of it, you know, I I, I I can't help but wonder if he was trying to go for highlight plays for the sake of thinking that was going to help him. But so often I see him like dive into the line with his shoulder thinking, Oh, I can get through and I'll make a play. But it it rarely works because even college linemen are good enough to just basically just matador you but then he he you know is it doing the things of a defensive tackle like so many people go well he's not a nose tackle okay well he's not three either based on based on that tape uh, because he doesn't take on contact well he doesn't use his hands well he doesn't position his body well to to do these things and and he cannot take on it like he, there's no taking on a double team the way this guy played at Oklahoma. It's just not going to happen. Um, so you look at it and go, yeah, there's a lot of tools. He could be a really interesting pass rusher. Um, even if he, you know, even based on that typical Oklahoma, you could say he's, he's an interesting pass rusher because he is athletic. He's quick off the ball and he's got those big long arms. So if we can get him to do nothing else, but charge forward, and get his arms up. He made a flex of passes. And by the way, I assume that the first thing, one of the first things he's going to do for the Browns in a meaningful role is going to be on field goal block and punt block. Because one, the Browns are god-awful at it. And two, yeah. because Perry and Winfrey's built for it. I mean, you accelerate quickly, get some penetration, get your hands up. And he made block kicks doing just that which the Browns People
0: don't understand that Pete. They don't understand that interior pressure on field goals, whether it's it's leaked pressure or a guy with a genuine like arm span to to get in the kicker's line of sight and alter how he approaches the football ever so slightly is so important, man. I don't think people get that.
1: Now, you know, there, I cannot prove this, but I am absolutely going to to say that that Uh, part of the reason the Browns are so God awful on field goal block this past year is the defensive tackle position offered nothing. And that there's no stress on the unit and, and the operation kicking the ball. And like I said, I can't prove there's no data to it, but the Browns only, you know, opponents only missed one field goal all year. Yes. There's some element of luck to it, but the team that was the best in the league was the new England Patriots. And they, you know, Teams made 66% of field goals against them. So maybe luck's a factor. It ain't that much of a factor. There's got to be something else there. So I think Winfrey's going to do that. Um, The problem here, and what makes Winfrey a really weird evaluation, is that he skips their bowl game and he goes to the senior bowl. And I don't know what happened in the two months between there. I'd love to ask him about it. But again, it's not because he played a different alignment. You watch the tape of the Senior Bowl of him practicing. You watch the game. You watch drills. And suddenly his hands are consistently where they're supposed to be. He's got his body locked in the right place to sort of take on contact. And he's driving guys. He's he's fighting pressure with pressure, something he never did at Oklahoma. He's chasing plays. And suddenly you go, not only does this guy actually play the run, but he might looks like he could be a functional player player in that role. Now, I don't think he'll ever be a great run defender. Uh, and, and you know, the Browns don't, aren't really asking him to be, they, they want two gapping doorstops that are going to clog things up, but you could at least, you know, be in a situation where you're third and third in, you know, some distance that could theoretically still have a run play, but you want to have more of a pass rush and go, okay, you know, we can put him in there and do that. But, that's the question. Did he all of a sudden, like, really work hard and get better at it, or was there something else there? Like, you know, was he was he selfish at Oklahoma? Was he sort of disengaged because he didn't like playing a zero? Or you know, even though, by the way, he didn't play that much zero. Like, he's all over the place on the defensive line. Um, yeah. But whatever you you want to you want to blame it on. Like, two months later in Mobile he looks phenomenal. So if you're positive about his projection, you're sitting there and and I consider this, you know, said if you're, if you're drafting the guy from the senior bowl, he's a second round prospect, you know, and, and part of that is some of this is because the draft class wasn't very good, but he, he looks tremendous, but his tape at Oklahoma is that of a day three player. So I don't, you know, the Browns obviously have, have to have done their homework on him, and obviously the, the, they aren't risking that much with him in the fourth round. If he's nothing else than a, a situational pass rusher, he could be very successful and have a, a very good run with the Browns. And, and you know, him and Perry, him and, uh, and Brian could step in and be that group immediately and be a really nice unit if the Browns ever have, you know, three starting defensive linemen they are going to come and stop the run. So if they get Clowney, if they sign a guy like, you know, Akeem Hicks or, or Zach Kerr or Eddie Goldman or whatever, and suddenly they're putting teams in obvious pass, passing situations and you can put Garrett and and Clowney and then Winfrey and, and Brian in there, all of a sudden you're going, okay, I'm excited about this. But if you are a person going, well, the media said he was going to go in the second round. So, you know, based on that, I think he's you know he has a chance to come in and start. I, I I'm trying to put this as as delicately as I can. It's delusional because it just ain't that that ain't him, and it's not because in that part of it it's not because it, he can't. Well, I mean he can't do what they're asking, but that a lot of that has to do with what the Browns want to do defensively. Parion Winfrey does not fit in the run stopping mindset of of the Browns. He's he's was drafted to rush the passer. And in that sense, you just sit there and you applaud them by getting one, getting him in the fourth round, because that's a great place to take him. And then two, because he, he does have a real skill set to to be an impact pass rusher from that area.
0: Yeah. The, the pass rush stuff is going to be his initial role. I don't know the, the projecting him to ever be more than that is, is a stretch. So I agree. if it happens, great. If you just get a pass rusher penetrator for those things, some special teams influence. Yeah. That's, that's a win for the, location you took him we'll see if that's what ends up manifesting last guy is Cade york uh, i'm I, well there's two more there's Cade york and then we'll get to to uh, dawson here they list as a guard now on the website so Cade york i mean our, i we don't have to dive too deep it's kicking analysis but do you, do you like the pick there do, what do you what are your thoughts as we've removed ourselves here about a month away from this thing
1: i couldn't tell you a thing about kicking other than if it goes through the uprights it's good but <laughs> having said that I love the, the strategy that the Browns employed here. And I did write about this. I wrote an entire article without mentioning a single thing about kicking, but it was about kicking. Um, he, it, like, you looked at this and you went in the offseason. One of the things everybody was clamoring for was going, go out and get the best kicker possible in free agency. And mm-hmm. Young Ho Kim, or whatever his name, Youngho Koo, gets a five-year, like, $24 million contract. The Browns don't have that money for a kicker. Um, And I think his first year, it was worth $3 million. Um, So, you know, that that wasn't reasonable. But you combine things like, one, not a very good draft class in general. You combine the fact that in the fourth round where they took him, his contract's going to be like $4 million over four years. So you're getting the right value for that pick. And obviously, you know, all of this is predicated on it having to, he has to be good. But if you look at it from that standpoint, you go, uh, you know, we got, we're, we're paying basically paying a million dollars for what we think is a franchise kicker and he's good. It's great. And the other part of this is, is the bronze roster there, you know, there, there are obviously holes and, and, and I, and I, and I, can't eat the amount I want to vomit looking at the defensive tackle position, which is the worst in the league right now. That could change, but it's the worst in the league right now. Having said that, just looking at this draft and sort of what they could have a, have picked at that pick, yes, they could have taken a position player, but Cade York is going to make the team. And and that's that's a factor. And and there, you know, this is a year where the Browns may see two players they drafted not make the final roster. Could be more than that theoretically, but you combine all these factors and you're like, okay, I, I don't love that they used the fourth round pick on him. Obviously, it has to work. I've got nightmares from from using a fifth round pick and a seventh round pick and not getting not getting the results. But if he's good, they have one saved themselves a lot of money. They used a draft asset to get somebody who's going to make the roster in a weak draft year, and theoretically, set themselves up. Because obviously his, his his rookie deal is basically going to run the exact time frame of Deshaun Watson, Miles Garrett, and Denzel Ward.
0: Framing it that way is perfect to me. Adding a pick is the ideal angle to take too, because you just you're just picking up a spot to take that player. And I haven't really heard it framed that way, Pete, around going out and getting the best free agent kicker and improving that position drastically. Well, go ahead and draft the guy then. You know, it's it's uh is inside the top 50 on some board, 150 on some board. So there, there's definitely people who evaluated who thought he had talent going into the draft. There's no doubt that the football does move off of his leg. He can elevate the football. I'll be interested to see what the kickoffs look like uh, as he didn't do much of that. There's been some rumblings about how good he is at it, so we'll see what that looks like. But the leg power's there. We'll see if he can navigate Cleveland, which seems like opponents don't have an issue navigating First Energy Stadium. So we <laughs> yeah. hope that... Uh yeah, this, you know, hope uh, the, the can, whole
1: Phil I mean, Dawson thing is just, look, I it's get hilarious. It. But it's, it's just hilarious. like, literally, I, they, they, like, people treat him like he's the Pope. And like, yeah. I, you know, I joke that like, I hope he has a pinky ring that he makes these kickers kiss because like, I saw what, half a dozen stories talking about, well, he went and talked to Phil Dawson. It's like, as if this had to happen uh, or or he would fail. Like it just, that type of stuff just blows my mind that like, we, we we have no context for this. It's not like we're we're going, Hey Michael Dean Perry, you know who you have to go talk to? You have to go talk to Michael Dean Perry. You just have to. And if you don't, then you know, you might as well just pack it in.
0: You know, It's a little bit of what, what happens with the uh you know they draft Jedrick Wills and did you talk, did you spend time with Joe Thomas? It's just easy. It's just easy yes. and it's like Yes. We could do we could do a little better than this, you know? We could do a little better. So but that stuff's not going to stop. And expecting if you and I, Pete, expected to stop, we are uh, we have an expectation problem. So those uh those things will keep being asked, uh, unfortunately. Anyway, uh, let's close with Dawson Deaton and any UDFA guys you like. I think Dawson Deaton's interesting. I don't think I think a lot. Okay, I think a lot of people presumed it was a it was a means at which to uh, bring in competition for Nick Harris. I remain thinking that they like Nick Harris a ton. I think Deaton's gotten some. Uh, he's got some interesting athletes. I mean, he's certainly athletic enough for the interior they list him at guard not center that doesn't mean anything really other than they're not going to pigeonhole him at center so interested in where you think he can potentially fit and then any udfa guys that you think are worthwhile uh which are you know pretty slim pickings but i'll let you, you you give me anybody you think might have a chance to outside chance to make the roster
1: uh yeah so uh dawson deaton is athletic enough theoretically to play tackle i i mean I don't think they're going to do that. Obviously, I think they, they, they're content to say guard center uh, interior guy, which is fine. I think ultimately he's going to end up on the practice squad and unless he can somehow beat, beat out Ethan Posick. But I think the goal here is that he, he's on the practice squad for a year. Ethan Posick is, is here for a year, and then he takes the job, the, the roster spot that Ethan, Ethan Posick has. Uh, certainly it is advantageous that if Deaton can play multiple spots, that helps him. But, you know, I think, you know, look, every practice squad wants to keep a guy who can snap. Um, and I think ultimately that's what he's going to be. And I, and I, I have interest in him, uh, as a player. I do think he needs to continue to change his body. Um, he's top heavy. I think he needs to get a little bit better with his leg strength. But he's got good movement skills. He's he's smart. His his philosophy on pass protection is fascinating to me. That he's like he 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 plays uh, pass protects like he's uh like he's that Quan kid for the the Guardians. You're not. He's gonna get contact. It may not go far, but he just needs to get a little piece. And yeah, like I like that he uh like. You know he 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 lets the guy dictate what's going to happen. He sort of responds. He's very nimble working laterally. Um, so he's interesting. Uh, you know he he does have tools that suggest he could be a, a a guy who can contribute down the road. But but you know this is the problem for the brown and it's a great problem to have. Is they've got about what thirteen guys who could play on NFL rosters that are that are theoretically attached to the Browns roster either because. They were injured last season or whatever. So it's tough. It's, it's gonna be tough for him to make the roster just by the numbers. I'm curious to see how some of these things work out. If the Browns, you know, start to move some guys earlier. Um, you know, you've got guys like Drew Forbes and 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 players of, of that ilk that are interesting, but if the Bronx are, are ready to move on from them, they may want to go ahead and do that. Uh, there's some tackles in that, in that thing too. But, but ultimately I do think that the goal here is to get Deaton to, unless injuries happen, this obviously a factor, but I do think the goal is to ultimately get him to be on the practice squad this year.
0: I could see, I could see the fit. They are kind of looking at him to be somebody along the lines of that, that moldable interior guy. And really, I mean, the, the ability, like you said, to flex out to tackle, That's a lot of what you're talking about. They need guys in a pinch. Hans is a perfect example of a guy we think is a guard center guard type. They've only had him as a guard center guard type, but they viewed him as a guy to put out a tackle largely by necessity, but guy who could do it. And and you're looking for athletes who can do that kind of stuff. He does fit that mold as a guy who you can develop, continue to work with practice squad and bring him up the next year after you maybe moved on, let go of or whatever some of those pieces that they have because they have like you said, nice interior offensive line pieces, and now with Hubbard and and Hudson and some guys that I think can play along the outside too, they they continue to just add interesting, moldable pieces there. Uh, so the you talked about the two wide receivers of the UDFA guys that they brought in that are certainly of more of the slot fold. Like, is there a name or two you think has a real shot here, or are you really just this UDFA class is just going to be here and disappear? I'm curious which guys stood out to you a little bit.
1: Well, I'm curious to see what Isaiah Weston can do. I mean, he's enormous. I mean, the only reason he didn't get drafted is because he's
0: 24. Just wish he played bigger. Doesn't doesn't use the size. I agree.
1: But bigger. but he, you know, he was more productive than Christian Watson relative to to, yeah. to the FCS, and he does do some things well. But ultimately, he's like a slightly better Derek Willys. Um Again, like the Bronze have a lot of weird reruns this year in terms of like drafting or signing guys that are weirdly similar to guys they've added in the past. Um I the thing is with the undrafted free agents is, is I desperately was hoping that they would get a defensive tack where I'd be like, okay, maybe this guy could chip in some some reps at knows. And maybe Ryrick Perry or or the Glenn Logan or whatever his name is from uh LSU can do that. Because that's the Clear, best, safest, quickest route to making this roster, and maybe maybe there will be an opportunity to come up. You know, who knows? I mean, since given that the Eagles have you know added about fifteen hundred pounds of defensive line, and that the, 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 the bronze might get another crack back at, at, at Marvin Wilson from last year, who they wanted to get on the practice squad but ultimately signed with the Eagles. And I don't know; I am not I'm not presuming that he's ready to like contribute because he's pretty bad last year, even though he's got some interesting tools, but. <clears throat> that's where I'm hoping that somehow we, we find somebody, but um, I, I'm interested to see what the Mike Harley kid can do because he is sort of a more traditional sort of slot guy, but ultimately, no, I don't think any of these guys are really uh, are anything more than a practice squad um, type option.
0: Good stuff, Pete. Listen, this was uh it's great all the way around, man. We went an hour, didn't mean to take this much of our time, but this at least gives everybody a comprehensive look at, and I don't mean to steal the title of the way you go about framing these after the draft, Pete, but it is very comprehensive in terms of not just how they can succeed. You've heard plenty of people tell you how all of these folks can succeed that they have brought in, but the things that are going to hinder development or ultimately maybe stop an NFL career from becoming something more meaningful. There's balance to that discussion. I think we handled that pretty well. Pete did a great job. We appreciate your time and insights, my friend.
1: Yeah, look, brevity is never my thing uh i I suck at keeping it short but yeah i always enjoy doing it so it's a lot of fun
0: good stuff man thanks again so so shout out to pete for joining us appreciate you guys checking out today's episode we have some good stuff coming over the weekend finally going to get an lsu beat reporter to talk about cade york and glenn logan we're going to talk about those guys that'll be up for you this weekend we'll spend some time friday with john colosimo and then i think we're going to have a little interview time with alex wright Uh, Tomorrow, that I'll end up posting over the weekend as well. So it should be pretty exciting all around. A lot of great content coming. Thanks again to Pete taking his time, an hour of his evening to talk about these prospects. Hit me up in the DMs or on Twitter or wherever at the uh, ATI section about any of these guys you want to know more about. Martin Emerson Film Room is up. Corey Kennan has the David Bell film coming tomorrow so check that out at the OBR or if it's Thursday when you're listening to this which is what I would presume that would already be posted by now thanks for checking out today's episode guys appreciate your support of the OBR whenever you can Uh, means the world to me it means the world to us thanks again and close with go Browns